Welcome to Indie Isles, the movie and TV podcast that will never be funny, no matter how much heavy prosthetic makeup we put on. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Daniel Acton. This week, we'll talk about what we've been watching, including a flashback to the original Coming to America. We'll talk some real news, and for our main review, it's Coming to America, new on Amazon Prime, starring Eddie Murphy. But we do need to say... Please do support us on social media. Get in touch with us at in the Isles Podcast at gmail.com. Leave us a five-star review. Please leave us a five-star review. They really do help. You can also follow us on Instagram at in the Isles Podcast. So do all of that. James, I just wanted to issue a slight apology. It's not a wholehearted one. The episode was late last week. I broke tradition. I had a family drama or tragedy, should I say. Not going to get into it. I kind of apologise, because I don't like letting the team down. But all is fine. Nothing's broke. The audience is still there. It's not an issue, right? No, it's not an issue. It's not an issue. Good, 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 good. I had the mother of bad weeks last week. I don't know about you. And to top it all off, I've just smashed a glass right before we were recording, and the missus has just looked at me with such utter disdain like i've purposely done it do you do you have this amongst you that one of you breaks glasses more than the other yes and i get the same look as well as though what have you done why have you done that well there's no why to it it was a mistake that's why it's called a mistake (laughs) they just don't register though that just because one person's done it more than the other it's not it's not a purposeful thing and it just doesn't compute with them. I've tried so many times to argue this point, but I think she's still got it in her head that I wake up some days and I go, probably just smash a glass today because it's been a while. It is not how the brain operates. A mistake is a mistake. Move on. Yeah, Sorry. I'm washing the dishes and I don't just think to myself, I'll just throw this glass in the sink and see if it breaks. Will it break from this height? Oh, yeah, it will. Okay, well. That's not what goes into it. You need to factor in the intention, not just the outcome. Or the lack of intention. I suppose that's what you're getting at. Do you ever want to squeeze a glass so hard that it breaks in your hand? No. How was your week? I saw a bit of vaccine supremacy at the dentist. A woman came in and said, can I use your bathroom? She was accompanying her daughter. And the staff politely said, no, it's close to customers. And this woman said, but I've had my vaccine. I don't have it. I can't pass it on. Why can't I use the toilet? So already it's, cre- it's creeping in that supremacy, that, that class division of the people that are vaccinated, thinking they're better than all of us. But that's, how does she even think that she still can't carry it? Like what? She doesn't deserve the vaccine. <sighs> I've really hate people i had my landlord call this week because our washing machines broke and he said you're all right we're not wearing masks or anything and i said it's fine we've had it as if and then i had to clarify no we've not got it now you're okay and he was like i'm all right i've got the vaccine so it's rife it's everywhere (sighs) what a great world we live in anything else happen in your world this week no okay let's dig straight into Content then, shall we? Watch this. What have you been watching this week, James? I've been watching The Boarding School, Last Cumbres on Amazon Prime. I really wanted to watch this, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. 
and it's a Spanish series, so perhaps I should say La Boarding School, Last Congress. <laughs> oh, we. This is a drama mystery horror about a boarding school. It's a very strict boarding school for delinquent youths, outcasts, you might say, and it's more like a prison. You're put in isolation for disobedience and the sports teachers are more like drill instructors in the army or the military. One student goes missing during an escape attempt and his girlfriend wants to find him, which leads to darker discoveries about secret societies, the occult, corporate conspiracies, ghosts and virgin sacrifice. That's all very good. The setting is good. All the performances are good from the imprisoned students to the good and bad teachers. It's tense. I wanted to know what's really going on. However, it drags on too much for the eight episodes. Too much time is spent on the different romantic pairings. Almost every student is in a couple and half of them don't offer anything to the story. There's not enough depth to the story or the characters to justify the amount of talking that goes on. These teachers are attracted to each other. Now they're sleeping with each other in secret. That doesn't need to be built over five episodes. But when the answers do start to come, it's very enjoyable. It builds to a strong final two episodes that ends way too suddenly. The last episode is not just a cliffhanger. It's a, this episode hasn't even finished yet. I've been waiting for this moment for eight episodes. It's ended too soon. But overall, I was entertained. It's a stylish, energetic horror series. Not a lot of horror, though. The trailer makes it seem like there's more horror than there actually is. Okay. I think you've sold me enough on it. Um, it reminded me ever so slightly when you're describing it of the Joshua Jackson film from the early 2000s, The Skulls. I don't know if you ever watched that. No, I didn't. Neither did most people. So we'll brush past it. So that's The Boarding School, Last Combress on Amazon Prime. Probably butchered that pronunciation, but you'll find it just put in The Boarding School. What else have you been watching, James? I only put this on because I wanted something to watch while I was eating. While we were eating, I wasn't eating alone. I still have a permanent living, uh, contractually connected female Pacific Rim, The Black on Netflix, which is an anime series. It's 3D anime, which I already, I can't, I don't, I, I'm not a fan of, of 3D anime. It has good reviews, but it's so clearly awful. It seems to me as an example of a lazy cashing of something familiar, Pacific Rim. At the start, this Jaeger, big Gundam robot, is carrying a bus full of people. They hear that a kaiju has appeared. They stop in a random place in the middle of the desert and put the bus down. Just happens to be next to an oasis that they live in for the next five years. Fast forward, this girl's running along a path that they've been running on for five years. She falls down a hole. Oh, look, this is where a big robot is kept. That's, a, that's convenient that that happens now. There's too many things like that that go on. They find a boy inside a water tank. They try to use crowbars to smash it open, even though they're in Australia, they speak English. There's a control panel there. It's probably in English. Try and use that. But they need to make noise for the drama of the monsters to find them. It's so ridiculous. All the characters die in the first episode. So what was the point of that? Pacific Rim was Evangelion in live action. 
So to make a Pacific Rim anime is like having Evangelion again, but I've got Evangelion anime, so I might as well just watch that. What is that out of interest? It's, it's, that's it's your leg- wheelhouse, but please tell me more. It's a legendary Japanese anime from the 90s about big robots that fight big monsters, just like Pacific Rim. So Pacific Rim, the film series, just ripped that off. Yes, which is why having a Pacific Rim anime doesn't make any sense. Obviously, not a fan from the sounds of it. And I wish you could see James's facial expressions. He actually pulled his face down to look like some sort of scream painting. It was it was quite something to behold. But I think it told me everything that I needed to know about how frustrated you were with it. Do you need prior knowledge of the films to have a level of understanding with this? Or can you just go in completely unknowledgeable? I went in that way because I've forgotten the original 2013 film. But I've since learned that Pacific Rim has a, has a fan base. It's got a dedicated fan base that loves the mythos and they apparently are lapping this up. So it's it's a world that maybe I shouldn't have tried to enter. Not everyone's cup of tea, but maybe some. Approach it at your own peril. That's Pacific Rim Black. The Black. The Black. And it never, and it never explains what The Black is. They say that The Black is coming down and then... What does that mean? Has Sydney been blacked? How many episodes did you give it before you quit? Two. Two. So maybe that was teasing a mystery that would be revealed later in the series. But yeah, doesn't sound that interesting. I'll skip it. Thanks for the warning. Okay. Was that it? Yes, that's it for now. We'll do WandaVision in real news. What have you been watching? I watched Your Honour on Now TV. So Sky have been pushing this drama hard. It has been every single thing that I've watched on Now TV has got an ad for this over the last few weeks. And it also had a glowing recommendation from my dad who said, you know, when you're watching something and it's just a little too intense and you think, why am I putting myself through this? To which I responded, yes, dad, I know exactly what you mean. I've just sat through the reunion episode of Married at First Sight Australia. But... I thought it must be good, so I'll see if it's worth the hype. So this is a new drama thriller starring Brian Cranston as a judge who finds himself helping to cover up a hit and run that his son has been involved in. But it just so happens that the kid that he's killed is the son of one of the city's most feared crime bosses. It sets the tone and establishes the drama really well within the first episode, whether that's the hit and run incident itself which is no holes barred it's graphic and brutal and the aftermath of the sun fleeing the scene is is really full of intensity you also get a really good character establishing moment with brian cranston where you see him in action as a judge tearing apart a police witness on the stand and questioning the reliability of his testimony and that's because his testimony could put a woman in jail and tear her apart from her children plus He's done his own fact-checking and he has the audacity to leave his seat within the judge's box or whatever you call it, I don't know, walks down and and intimidates him and questions him in the witness stand. And I thought, that's a bit weird, but I think it gives you a good insight into the fact that he's a bit unconventional as a judge um, and you just don't normally see that sort of thing. 
I am only one episode in, but I do like what I see so far. I'm guessing this blows up into a big revenge story and the crime boss discovers who's to blame and he starts hunting Brian Cranston and his family down at any cost. I am slightly worried, though, because as is my routine, I thought, I'm going to check IMDb. It holds a fairly respectable score of 7.8, but I thought, I'm going to read some reviews on this. And I've never come across such an onslaught of one-star negative reviews for a series ever. I couldn't find any positive ones. I was scrolling for ages. And a lot of that feedback seems to be about the kids really unlikable that's at the centre of causing this hit and run. People are making really infuriatingly poor decisions that just don't seem realistic. And apparently it goes downhill because they start bringing the pandemic into part of the story in later episodes. But it can't hold 7.8 for no reason, even though IMDb is not to be trusted. So I'm going to see it through. I'm going to do what you did with Tribes of Europa. I want to see more. So I'm going to watch it and report back in a few weeks. But so far, so good. That's Your Honour on Now TV. What else have you been watching? For my sins, I've... <laughs> I Please don't put this in the Instagram post. I watched Bank Balance with Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> oh, this is the new BBC primetime game show where they're already two weeks in, rumours of it being cancelled. And I'll start off by saying I completely see why. Me and the missus put this on as background noise earlier in the week, and we joined midway through the episode. Now, if you do that, you will find this the most baffling experience that you've ever had watching anything, because I could not make heads and tails of what was going on. It was bizarre. You need to know the purpose of the game or the mechanics of it, because you just can't decipher it. It's just mind-boggling. I had to read an article by The Telegraph to explain to me... (laughs) what this game show actually is because people were reacting to what they were doing, placing these different coloured blocks on what looks like something that's been ripped out of a children's playground. And they'd be going, oh, my God, oh, oh, thank God for that. And we were like, thank God for what? What have you done? I don't know what you're doing. I don't know the purpose of this. It was just weird. And that, that happened several times. And I was, I'll not lie, I was just fascinated with it because I just needed to know what was going on I left the room to get a drink and I came back and it I walked in and it was something to this effect but Gordon Ramsay asked one of the contestants he said do you prefer jumping or running and the contestant responds by saying I prefer throwing and I thought even the conversations don't make sense (laughs) I mean that that's out of context but I just thought what is this So anyway, I'll I'll fill you in on what The Telegraph tells me this game show is. So even this doesn't really make it much clearer. Contestants answer questions and place bars on a balance board. If they can plant all of them without the board tipping over, they win £100,000. But at the same time, there are 12 zones, 12 questions and 12 stacks. But the number of bars in the stack depend on the number of questions answered. And there's penalty bars for the wrong answers being given. But also, there's zero bars that add zero cash. And contestants get to pick again credits when they haven't earned enough money. What? So if you imagine so people reacting to all these little weird things within the game, it's mental. It is mental. Please, for the purpose of an experiment, watch this halfway through an episode and just be riveted, but in all the wrong ways. 
So Gordon Ramsay hasn't made a good choice moving away from cooking programs, has he? Do you know what? He's not stellar in this, but he's not the worst aspect of it. It was quite jarring to hear him go, oh shit, me, what are you doing? He he swears during a BBC game show, which I thought was a family thing. It's not. I think he says the F word a few times, but he does quite well. He's nothing spectacular, but he's all right. It's just the game is too complex. It doesn't need to be this convoluted. But yeah, so it's it's going to get cancelled anyway. But whilst it's still on BBC iPlayer, give it a watch and just see this car crash television. It sounds like Buckaroo, but with questions being triggered, depending on where you put things. Does that sound right? Yes, yes. In fact, I think the Telegraph refers to it as like Buckaroo. So you bang on the money there. Bang on the bank balance, James. So that, that was a mixed bag this week. I think we've given some people a bit of... You know, oh, maybe give this a watch, but also some do not avoid at any cost, um, which is which is always nice. We watch things that you don't have to, but we also watched something else this week in preparation for our main review, didn't we, James? We did. 1988's Eddie Murphy classic, Coming to America, T.O. America. What are you talking about, you? I very much disagree Shut up, with you. that. Two. You do not have good opinions. What an idiot. I hate everything. You can't even speak. Nothing you're saying makes sense. Conflicts of interest. I don't know about you. This was the first time that I've ever begrudged doing this podcast, watching this film. Wow, the, okay. The first and only time. I'll come on to it, but... Me, mine was first time I begrudged it was the wrong Missy, and that was like episode three. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with it, then. I do appreciate the dedication. No, we, we we couldn't go into coming to number two America without watching the first one, couldn't we? And we were both virgins to it, so a fresh experience for us both. That's right. I'm right in saying that, aren't I? Yes. Yep. So, James, please tell me what what were your thoughts on coming to America, revisiting an old classic? Did it hold up for you? It did hold up for me. First thing I noticed was that Eddie Murphy was in heavy prosthetic makeup in this. Now, I thought that was something that started later on with things like Norbit and Dr. Doolittle. I had no idea he'd been doing that since the 80s. It has a slower pace than a comedy you might see today. The jokes per minute count is low, but seeing someone of Eddie Murphy's talent at his peak was something enjoyable to watch. And he's got great chemistry with Arsenio Hall. There's some good bits in it. The the barbershop stuff was genuinely funny. The speed dating in the bar, that was funny. Some funny characters there. I had a good laugh with it. I wasn't laughing out loud. It wasn't like watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine where I, I do l- properly laugh out loud by myself, but I enjoyed it. It does wrap up quite quickly, though. There is one reveal explanation scene and then one scene to wrap up and then that's it. Thank God for that. But there's an opening sequence that I'm going to bring up later, so I'll talk about it now, which shows how why I thought it was funny. So when Andy Murphy's first introduced, he's the prince, he has a lavish luxury lifestyle and when he's walking out of his bedroom to the toilet there's these three women throwing rose petals on the floor everywhere he goes i thought that was funny totally over the top royal life 
he gets to his royal toilet and someone else opens the door and Eddie Murphy says, can't I do this by myself? And you think that the joke is people are opening the door for him to go to the toilet. They're going to watch him. But then his father, James Earl Jones, claps his hand and says, wipers and the wipers come in. So it's even more luxurious than you thought. Then he's in the bath and it's a huge bath and he's being fanned by a naked woman. And you think this is ridiculously luxurious. Life doesn't get any better than this. And the joke is, this is a ridiculous setup that he's in. But then there's even more. The second woman pops up from under the water and says the royal penis is clean. I thought all that was quite funny. The totally stupidly over the top life that he was living. It set that up really well. Okay. I think this is going to be our last episode. <laughs> Not only joking. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. And the Go-Glow, I think it's the Go-Glow, the Go-Glow hair product adverts, they were they were funny as well. That was good. That was good. That was good. The sexual chocolate scene, where there's the singer singing something, that is a classic scene, apparently, but I didn't think it was funny. No. What did you think of Coming to America 1? Right. I'll, let's get the positives out of the way first, because trust me, it won't take long. The film starts and you get this really impressive opening animation of the Paramount logo, and that then transitions into this sweeping camera shot across this fictional landscape of Zamunda. And it's got the Lady Smith, Black Mambazo song that people know from Lion King most predominantly, and it's playing through. And I thought, this looks and feels beyond its years. It's probably not, but I thought, I wasn't expecting this from an 80s film. I was quite shocked. And then, as you said, the, the setup at the beginning, it's done very well. You get this lavish palace exterior and the interior is equally visually astounding. And I was intrigued. I was excited. There's then a dance sequence that keeps the energy open. He's introduced to his initial bride as part of this ceremony. The dance choreography. It was good. The costumes were colourful. It was bright. It was a feast for the eyes. That's the beginning. All very promising stuff. Talking about the film in general, as you said, it's one of Eddie Murphy's first forays into doing this multiple character shtick. And the film won an Oscar for Best Makeup by Rick Baker. And you can see why it's so flawless. It's, it's brilliantly done. I actually couldn't tell that he was the white Jewish guy. Didn't know that at all. But I thought, that's, that's astounding. One thing I quite liked about the film is there's some effing and jeffing. If you're American, that means swearing and whatnot. But if you take three minutes of content out of this film, I think, personally, it could easily be a U or a PG-rated film. It is mostly kind-spirited and, and well-meaning. And I don't know if I've missed something, because I've read quite the opposite afterwards, but for a film that's 30 years old, the attitudes towards women in it are nowhere near as problematic as I was expecting. I thought it treated them quite well. But that's where the positives ended for me. And I hate that I dislike this film so much because it means a lot to a huge number of people. It was obviously quite progressive at the time. They've got an all African-American cast. So it really saddens me to have this opinion. But I sat through the first 30 minutes and after that initial, oh, this is Amanda, this is what it looks like, this is Eddie Murphy's life. I just thought, what the hell have we agreed to here? This, this is going to be painful. I don't want to sit through four hours of this because knowing that we had to watch the sequel... And I wasn't wrong for me. I, I did not laugh once throughout its entire runtime. I didn't even crack the vaguest hint of a smile. 
it was a slog of a film. And I, it's a classic, so I, I, again, feel bad for saying it, but I just feel for something labelled a comedy, how can it be devoid of, of laughs entirely? Obviously, that's my perception. You had a different journey with it, and so have millions and millions of people. So take what I'm saying with a pinch of salt. Um, it just felt like there was a lot of opportunity with this, that fish-out-of-water premise. There's so many things to draw humour out of, but none of it, none of it works for me. Yeah, that was me. I just, I know it's left a cultural footprint, but I just thought this is a big fat dud of a film. I don't know what the who has about. I really don't. Comedy, isn't it? It's so difficult. It's so culture sensitive and time sensitive that it's not surprising that someone going back 33 years to another country would find something not funny. That being said, I don't know about you. I watch Monty Python and I just think, I don't get this. This is not one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So maybe. You can't go back. I think it's a generational thing as well. I, I do agree because I'm not in any way, by the way, saying to people, if you have a love for this film, you're wrong. What's wrong with you? I'm not saying that. That would be completely unfair. I think it's like you said, you have to be part of that moment, I think, or have a nostalgia for it for whatever reason for you to fully appreciate it. And I've come in blind. I've never seen it before. I've never seen a clip from it. Nothing. And that was that was my reaction. I did find some interesting things about drama that unfolded off the screen between the director and Eddie Murphy that I found fascinating, but that's probably a conversation for another time. If you want to know what happened there, go and look it up. So you watched this before coming to America too, didn't you? I did, yes. Did you not? I didn't. I watched. Oh my God, James. First. Why do you keep doing things like this? Well, it's not. <laughs> Where's the sen- what? explain the sense in that? What? It's only a comedy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's happened before. It's a it's comedy not- with thirty years of history. You can't watch the second one first. Well, how are you going to understand the jokes? You've- well, maybe maybe that's a good experiment to go in and think. Right, this is a film. This is a sequel. The original is thirty-three years old. So there's going to be a lot of people watching this that haven't seen the original. So I've had that experience and I've got things to say about it. But you knew full well we were were going to watch both. Why wouldn't you watch them in the right sequence? You you baffle me sometimes. Don't understand your logic. I I think we'll go around in circles if we carry this on. Look, because it's a comedy, 33 years later, I don't see it as a proper... I don't see that it actually matters what order it is in because it's comedy. It's not The Godfather. We'll probably come on to it in main review then. Do you not see in hindsight why that doesn't work? Because there's so many things, there are, with particularly this sequel, that is from the first film, that if you haven't seen it, it's just going to go straight over your head. Yes, that's right. But who, that's not my fault, is it? You don't make a film where all the jokes rely on watching another film from 33 years ago. Just make good jokes. Don't just say McDowell's and think, oh, look, there's McDowell's. I recognise that. That's funny. Like I said, we'll just carry this on forever and uh, I can't wrap my head around any of this. Let's move on, shall we? Well, you might need to put the conflicts of interest jingle at the start of this. (laughs) I think so. Oh, James, I despair. Let's move on to real news. Let's move on. It's the real thing. 
It is now Real Real News News. James, do you want to do real news in a logical order, or should we just do it all out of whack? What's what would the logical order be? Well, I'm I'm just there wasn't one. It was a it was a callback to two minutes ago. Right. Yeah. Got it. We'll talk first about the news that requires knowledge of the thing we'll talk about second. If every man and his dog has a podcast, then every man and his dog and his cat has done a special podcast episode about WandaVision and the full series review of WandaVision. I've already shown my hand on this one. You asked me questions in a previous episode about what I think about fan theories and if I'm engaged in that or not. And my answer was, that I wasn't engaging in fan theories. I was enjoying it for what it is. And it seems like I was on the right side of history. Because if you look at the reaction to WandaVision that's happening now, I can't tell you the percentage split, but there is a good number of people that were bitterly disappointed by the finale because it didn't deliver on any of the fan theories that had come in the previous eight weeks, like introducing the X-Men, Doctor Strange cameo, Luke Skywalker-style cameo of some kind, who's the actor that Paul Bettany is looking forward to working with, Mephisto, is Mephisto going to be in it? All this stuff that was never in the original program. It was invented by the fans. They set up the expectation in their own head. And this final episode, despite what was actually in it, despite the quality, despite it actually paying off the story that was being told. It's being negatively received by a number of people. It's really interesting to observe. You could write a whole essay about the phenomenon that's taking place. I should have tried to coin a phrase in advance for this. But do you, do you, am I, do you understand what I'm saying? How it's the expectation built around the thing was shattered, but it was completely built up by the fans. Yeah, no, I do, I do understand where you're coming from. What One thing that I did want to ask you about, and I don't know how familiar you are with the other Marvel seasons, but most of that news to me, just bringing myself up to speed today, I've heard a lot of people saying that it's made a lot of the other Marvel TV shows redundant, though, with the direction that it goes. That might be difficult for you to respond to, but say, for example, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the same MacGuffin pops up in one division, but it looks entirely different. And is that ignoring the history of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. being part of the universe? And to me, that, from an outsider's point of view, because I haven't watched it and I'm not as involved with the Marvel Universe as some people, I thought that does seem like a bit of a slap in the face, that for people who initially, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it was part of that few phases of, of the MCU, why would you just now go and ignore it? Have they done that, or are people just blowing that out of proportion too? Sorry, by the way, if you've not watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I've got no idea what you're talking about. I've not watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know which MacGuffin you're talking about. If it's just about the design change, I don't think that's much of a big deal. The Trill symbiote in Star Trek, that changes design as the years pass. I don't think that's much of a problem. So probably just something else for fans to kick off about because they didn't quite get what they were expecting. Not to alienate people. Yeah, and in my search for real news, I did scroll past a number of articles that said, there's still a chance that the X-Men is being introduced in WandaVision. <laughs> there's still a chance that there is a hint there. 
if you look again at this scene or scroll past this article that's full of ads, you will see that there is still a way to get to the X-Men from WandaVision. And it's already starting with Falcon and, and Winter Soldier. Yeah, Maybe Falcon and Winter Soldier will introduce the X-Men. So there's this poison now running through all this MCU stuff that no matter what stories are actually being told, people will be second-guessing, well, who's the like Luke Skywalker cameo in this? Mm. Are they going to introduce Darkseid at the end of this episode? So you've seen it all through now. You've watched it all. Fair to say that it's still an inventive, ballsy exploration of a TV series, something different that Marvel have tried here and well worth a watch. Yes, it is. On, on the whole, yes. It does start off inventive and original. I prefer the earlier episodes. It does descend into a more conventional superhero laser fight, but even when all that's going on, the engaging story that I was into with Scarlet Witch and Vision is still there. So there you go. If you want to check it out, that's WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. What real news have you got? I struggled this week. There's not a lot going on in the world. So instead, I've picked out some of the more weird and wonderful news pieces that I've come across. Have you heard that a number of people in the US of A put on Tom and Jerry, the new animated film on HBO Max, but mistakenly seem to be watching Zack Snyder's Justice League director's cut because of a glitch, even though it's not released yet. Yes, I did see that. And I think it still had the metadata from Tom and Jerry. So it only played the first one hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, that's the one. But what an interesting screw up. Who's done that and how? It just seems a bit bizarre. And the article that I read as well, you can well imagine because it points to it, just families sitting around. It's all watch it, nice family comedy. And then you get quite a dark R-rated superhero film which you probably weren't expecting just thought that was quite interesting for a bit of a fluff up i'd love to see the email that went round for that (laughs) urgent was all caps in the subject line i'm guessing but what other steps did they take to try and draw attention to it i mean they probably did a phone call as well but it was probably all means of communication all at the same time to the hbo max uploading person who's just some guy working from home that was eating some cereal while his laptop was shut in the other room. My, my bets are on some sort of insider job. and Somebody who had quite a heavy hand in Tom and Jerry thought, it's kind of died on its ass. There's not a lot of people have watched it. How do we get more people to watch this? I know, let's mistakenly leak. Justice League, and that'll just draw more people into, you know, because it'll still count as a stat towards Tom and Jerry at the end of the day. So... Bit of a conspiracy theory there. Probably not what happened, but that's that's what I'm going to lay my bets on. It is genius, though. There's a new Tom and Jerry film. Yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea. I thought this was about an old Tom and Jerry thing that people were watching. No, no. This is uh, this is why I think it's an insider job. It's quite well advertised on the platform, HBO Max, this. So I think people have just manufactured this leak. Yeah. Brilliant marketing. What other real news have you got? Next one, most people probably won't give a single shit about. It's Peacock, the NBC-backed streaming service, which is yet to make its way over to the UK, although a lot of their content arrives in different forms with our UK-based streaming services. They've just greenlit Dan Brown's Langdon, which is a TV series that will feature the character played by Tom Hanks, 
Robert Langdon in his series of best-selling books, one of which being The Da Vinci Code, which in my opinion is an awful film, and I never even made my way around to the next two. But, however, I did read the book at the time. I was caught up with that craze, and I quite liked it. So I am willing to see what a TV series that isn't directed by Ron Howard has to offer, because I, I really was not a fan of those films. So if you are a fan of the Dan Brown books, be expecting a TV series relatively soon. Very good. Exciting. For some. But like I said, quite a lacklustre week for news. So, so that's it. It's all I've got, James. Okay. Let's move on to the main review. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Coming to America. Two. Just discovered that I may have a son here in this land. How much child support is she getting from? The king pays no child support. No child support for 30 years and you came back? You was a dummy! <laughs> Hello, I am Hakim Jaffer, king of Zamunda. You are the heir to the throne. Yeah, my father. He's supposed to be like the prince of Wakanda. Wakanda is a fictional place. Not to everybody. Zamunda is a very real nation. I don't need no handout. Wait a minute. Hey, I'm gonna pay. Okay, baby. <laughs> Presenting King Akeem's son from America. And my mom's. And his mom's. Children, this is your brother. Hey, Quang. I'm sorry I slept with your man. This happened before we even met. It's not like you're the first man I've ever been with. I have met. What did you just say about the other man? Coming to America, now it's coming to me. I always thought that Mika was going to be queen. <laughs> A woman isn't allowed to rule Zamunda. It's the law. Did it ever occur to you that Mika wanted to be your heir? Would you dare banish me from my own bedroom? Coming to America. An oddly titled film that doesn't involve so much going to America, but coming from and travelling to Zamunda. Filmmakers gestated for 30 years over how to bring the sequel to fruition, ultimately settling to tell the same story all over again, but with a twist, it's set in a different country, which appeared in the first film. Prince Akeem ends up trading places with Darth Vader and becomes king of his country. Then... Learning of a bastard child he never knew existed, he collects his illegitimate son from his big mama's house with hopes of making him his golden child. Once on Akeem's home turf, his son Lavelle finds himself within daddy's daycare, but opts to do little to ingratiate himself with those he finds within his norbit. Despite a rocky start, a blossoming romance materialises within another 48 hours of arrival, kickstarting a journey to becoming the distinguished gentleman that the nation truly needs. I think that was a thousand words long. The African monarch, Akeem, learns he has a long-lost son in the United States and must return to America to meet this unexpected heir and build a relationship with his son. James, I'm itching to know. You watched them out of order. But what did you think of coming to America? Continuing a series 30 years later is a challenge, and they seem to have faced that challenge by making something that doesn't suit the original at all. 
the initial setup of you have a bastard son and you need to find him and train him wasn't bad. I actually liked the introduction of the son, Lavelle, and his uncle. I liked the scene where Lavelle had a job interview and the interviewer was having all these racial biases confirmed. That was a genuinely funny scene. I really liked that. And Tracy Morgan was funny as well. So I was coming in strong, high hopes. After that, too many elements are thrown in. There are three daughters when it should be one. Wesley Snipes and his daughter, Lavelle's side romance. It makes sense and it fits together, but it became overstuffed and no story stood out and there was no flow to it. You've said that if you took out a few minutes of content, going to America might be a you. That's true, but I thought that there was a more mature tone to going to America. It seemed to be more intelligently written. It wasn't just the nudity in the swearing. Going to America 2, it seems more appropriate for children and young people watching, but they won't have seen Coming to America 1 coming into this. So that didn't make sense to me. It's like doing a family-friendly rom-com sequel to Nymphomaniac. It's less of a comedy and more of an entertaining mix of everything, like Spice Girls, the movie. It's got jokes, music, a bit of harmless, silly antics. Visually, whatever, they weren't bothered. The cast is too big. I'll just say who I liked. Tracy Morgan made me laugh, as I said. Really liked his character. Jermaine Fowler as the son, Lavelle. He holds his own against the veterans. A lot was being asked of him. It's his film, really, because he's the fish out of water and he has an arc. Kiki Lane, who's the main daughter, who you might recognise from The Old Guard with Charlize Theron. She should have been the only daughter in it, and she was good. She's a kick-ass princess, and she should have had more screen time so that her story had more impact later on. Wesley Snipes was over the top, but funny. He was fine. I did raise a smile. Overall, though, it's just not very good, is it? There are talented people, but overall, it's not funny. One example that I've alluded to, the royal privates are clean. I hadn't seen the original first, and it shows Leslie Jones in a bath, and I thought, someone's under the water. Someone's going to pop up, and they'll have been... And that was what happened, and she says, oh, yeah, go down again. And it wasn't funny. It was just predictable. In the original, all Eddie Murphy's privileges build up and surprise you, and it's constantly one up in itself for a, an even more ridiculous thing that he's got. Like, he's got the naked woman fanning him already, and then there's another one underwater. That's the joke, not just that the royal penis has been cleaned. Other long segments, not funny that I won't get into. There's a CGI lion subplot that is not funny. Daniel, what did you think? I'm not going in for the kill here, by the way. But I, I'm glad I watched the first one in close proximity and in order because otherwise I feel as though a lot of the callbacks and references would have been completely lost on me. But I think if you are familiar and a fan of the first one, if you, if you haven't seen it recently, give it a rewatch. And as an extra task, tell me if you think it stands up. <laughs> um, that being said, I've made it pretty abundantly clear. I had no fondness for that first film. I, it just didn't work for me at all. This feels like fan service on every single level. And I looked at this through the lens of somebody who did 
love the first one. I didn't, but I can appreciate somebody who did. It's still quite difficult for me to say because I'm not in that camp. So with that being said, and there being so much to please those fans, what is the to not like about it? It lovingly nods to supposed jokes from the first in a very on-the-nose way to the point where the jokes are actually recited verbatim at several points. But I think that the story arc parallels that exist there, it makes it work. It doesn't feel lazily shoved in. The moments they do use it in the film feel warranted. Further to that, I think every substantial and inconsequential character, for that matter, returns. And I can see it bringing that wave of nostalgia for a lot of people. So if anything, I just really appreciated the effort that they went to on that front. For me, I think you said it before, the first is quite a slow-paced film. This feels a lot more energetic. In the first one, I found myself constantly, and I'm not exaggerating, I was constantly sighing, sat with this livid look on my face, looking at my watch and thinking, when is this going to end? Or pausing it and going, oh my God, there's this long left. But with this, I didn't find that was my response to the film. And that's the highest praise that I can give it. I wasn't clock watching. That's not for me to say it's brilliant. There is heart to this, as lazy as that element might be. Because one of the things I disliked about the first film is I felt like the romance had no substance to it. It just arrived out of nowhere. There was no build-up. Suddenly he's with her. And this is similar in some respects. It does appear out of nowhere but it feels more sincere and I felt like they had more chemistry. There's a whole debate about representation with this film, which I I don't want to get heavily into, but I think it does do quite a poor job of representing Africans and African-Americans. So at least it fails on both sides. It's ignorance is balanced, if nothing else. It's not a discussion I should weigh in on. People will make up their own minds. The performances, I was surprised because of Eddie Murphy's ego and the fact that he wants to play every character, and he still does that in this. He seems to take quite a large backseat in this, and he does let the character of his son do his thing. But as for that character, I had the complete opposite reaction to you. He grated on me. There was an air of cockiness about him that I just... I couldn't like. I just found him irritating. On the opposite side of the scale, Wesley Snipes, where has he been? I mean, he was in jail, I think, if memory serves me correctly. But he's back, and he's a great screen presence. And whether whatever I've seen him in, if he's zany or not, he's he's committed, and I enjoyed him in this. I completely agree with what you said about the daughters of Eddie Murphy's. I think there needed to be one rather than three. And Kiki Lane is the high point of that. She's this figure of femininity. And although she's not given a lot to work with, I think she does relatively well. This film is not a catastrophic failure. It's not. I think it's as good as it possibly could have been. There's been a lot of care and attention given to stirring up that nostalgia for the first time and the first film, sorry, and and I give it props for that. But it's all too predictable with its plotting. It's slightly more bearable to me personally than the first film, but that doesn't give this an easy pass because it cannot hold that mantle of being as groundbreaking as its predecessor. But it does transport us back in time. They sat on this idea for 30 years. They had ample time to come up with something fresh and original. Does it honour the first film? Yes, in so many ways. But does it do anything groundbreaking and new? No, that was what I thought. Something I'd like to throw in at this stage is 
Dolomite is my name. Have you heard of that film? It's a Netflix film from two years ago. Yes, same director, isn't it? I've heard of it. I've never watched it. It's the same director, Craig Brewer, and it's got Eddie Murphy and Wesley Snipes in it. I've watched 45 minutes of it today. It's really good. All right. It's properly funny. Eddie Murphy is brilliant in it. Wesley Snipes is not you know, over the top like he's in this, but he's doing comedy. It's good. If you want to watch something with Eddie Murphy in it, watch Dolomite Is My Name on Netflix. That being said, I agree it's not a complete disaster coming to America too. I can imagine a family of all ages sitting around and just enjoying it. There's musical numbers like with Salt and Pepper and Gladys Knight. It's a bit of fun. I just think I had higher expectations for the actual writing and the jokes. Do you, in all honesty, I'm not trying to harp on about this, do you think you would have a, had a different experience if you'd watched them in order, just because the bar would have been set? And I know that you liked the first one, but would you not have possibly not been expecting so much? Might be a hard thing for you to answer, in all honesty. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. As for the callbacks, I was watching the, I watched the first film last so then all the callbacks clicked in. But do they need that many callbacks? Do they need to reference every single joke from the first film, like McDowell's and Sexual Chocolate? And did you watch the end credit scene of Coming to America too? Yes, I did watch quite a bit of it, yeah. Where one of the guys in the barbershop says, is that velvet at the wedding? Did you see that bit? Oh, no, but that's a callback to the first film when he walks in yeah. wearing the lion... Yeah, so Darth Vader goes into the barbershop and someone says, is that velvet? But it's lion skin. And then they reference that. Is Do you need to bring up every single joke from the first film to the point where you're sticking it at the end credits? Was Zoolander 2 like this? Because I've not watched Zoolander 2. but I, I never watched it. Um, where you've just taken all the previous jokes. What I was thinking, though, as you were talking, was if they did an Alan Partridge reunion in 10 years that was repeating exactly the same jokes with the same characters, I would lap it up. I would love it. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. I'd, I mean, I've just thought it's corner and said, oh, it doesn't feel completely lazy how they've put the callbacks in. It's, it's not intellectual either. It's not clever what they've done. But the way that it makes it work makes you go, oh, all right, then I'll give it a pass. And I, I think I was trying to think, imagine if I had that affinity for the first film and I think that enough time has passed for you to get away with it almost. Because it's like, I'm not being lazy by bringing up something that we did 30 years ago. God, we've all moved on a lot since then. This is just giving you a sense of nostalgia. And that that's how I took it. But I can see the argument on both sides, to be honest. It could also be perceived as extremely lazy. And you're right. I don't think it needed to do it as much as it did. Because my word, it's done a lot. Some of it is the character is just in the film. Like the McDowell's thing. In the first film, there's the joke about McDowell's, how there's this guy has a fast food restaurant that's very similar to McDonald's. And in Coming to America 2... He's in the film and he's talking about McDowell's and McDowell's is there. There's no there's no jokes for it. It's just in the film. Mm. Yeah. And you're supposed to go, oh, yeah, there's the McDowell's guy from the, the other film. I remember him. But but then on that point, and again, it might just have not worked for me, but the whole McDowell's concept of it being a rip-off of McDonald's in the first film, 
I didn't find any of that funny at all in the first. So I wasn't expecting more out of it this time round because he didn't play with it the first time, in my opinion. But I don't know. Can I pitch you my version of a callback joke? Okay. Instead of Leslie Jones in the bathtub alone, you have Tracy Morgan coming to this palace and thinking, I'm going to have such a luxurious life. This is great. He hears about these women that will like, bathe you or that people will bathe you. And he says, I want one of those baths. So someone says, oh, you've got to use this one for reasons. And then it cuts and he's in the bath and he's got a naked man standing next to him. And Tracy Morgan's completely bemused by this. And seeing the first film, you think, well, I know what's coming next. But then Tracy Morgan just has this stone cold stare and it just cuts. And you never know if it's going to pay that off or not. See, even though that was just one example, I've kind of backed myself up because I did say it. They could have done something more original, but you've just pointed out one very simplistic way that, I mean, it's so simplistic. It's a good idea, but yeah, there could have been a lot more thought put into the comedy. You're right. Or picture this, James. It's not Leslie Jones's son who walks in on her in the bath. It's Eddie Murphy. And then when he leaves the room, a son comes up and he's the one who's been under the water. Hilarious. Incest is <laughs> hilarious. No, maybe not. James, do you recommend coming to America? No, I don't. <laughs> but if you've seen the promotion and thought, oh, Eddie Murphy, Wesley Snipes, watch Dolomite Is My Name on Netflix instead. Daniel, would you recommend coming to America? It's a tricky one. I personally didn't mind this film. I would lean towards, no, I'm not going to recommend it. And I might be wrong in saying this, but I think if you like the first film, give it a go. You might be pleasantly surprised. Okay. It's a comedy that, by the sounds of it, at least one of us thinks spoils itself. So there's probably no reason to go into spoilers. Do you agree, James? I agree. I agree. Well, we'll call it quits there, as Eddie Murphy should have done 30 years ago. James, what are we reviewing next week? Apple TV's latest offering, starring Tom Holland, Cherry. Fantastic. I actually really can't wait for that. I think it's going to be a, a good one. So watch us be wrong next week. Oh,